I love being here. I'm excited about uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, as you know, we've been going uh, through a, a series of books, uh, Three Closest uh, Friends uh, to, to Christ. And we've been looking at James, which is written by the, the actual, the, the, the stepbrother, uh, the half-brother of, of Jesus. And, and uh, Brent had a little bit of an opening monologue of what it would be like to be uh, the, the, the stepbrother, the half-brother of Jesus. Like, well, that, that would be tough. <laughs> but anyways, we're just talking about surrender. And, and one thing that you'll notice very quickly, if you've ever read the book of James, and, and you'll notice as we talk about it this morning, is uh, James, is, he, he, don't, he don't pull back no punches. He, he is right at you. He's right in your face. And so, and so I, just, I, just, I just want you to just kind of open your hearts and let the word of God speak to you um, as, as we go to that, right? But, but quite honestly, I think we need that. I think personally, I think we need that kind of interaction in our life. We need, we need those friends around us that will say, hey, man, you know, you, you've been kind of acting like a jerk lately. Like, dude, what's going on? Like, you, you, you need to chill out, man. Like, you, you need that person in your life to help and check and, and where you can have those conversations with, which, again, I think that's why the, the, the reality and the premise that, that this walk that we walk as Christ followers is never meant to be walked in isolation. You, can't, you can't, can't do it on your own. You need, you need somebody else to help you. You need somebody else to check you sometimes when you yourself are getting into your own feelings. So listen, Group Sunday is coming up in four weeks. As, as we wrap back up, and man, I know what you're going through. My wife and I, we had three kids, and praise the Lord, they're gone. They're out, you know. Ooh, that's a blessing. Listen, listen, I'm calling to you from the other side of the river. It's going to be all right, folks. It's going to be good. Be strong. We're praying for you. <laughs> but uh, listen, I know it gets busy. I, I know it, it, it does. But man, make sure that you are making some time to gather with some people. Gather with some fellow believers, some, believe, some people that are like-minded to have conversations, to pray for what's going on, what's happening, for what we're sending our kids into. Amen? And it's really, really important. Find a group. Uh, group Sunday is September 10th. It's coming. Make sure you keep time your schedule. Hey, let's jump into the Word. You ready? Come on. Let's go. James 2. Let's do it. James 2, uh, verse 1. The Bible says this. My fellow believers, do not practice your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of partiality. Welcome to church, everybody. I told you. Towards people, right? Show no favoritism. No prejudice, no snobbery. For if a man comes into your meeting place wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in, in dirty clothes also comes in, and you pay special attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and say to him, hey, you sit here in this good seat. And you tell the poor man, you stand over there. Hey, sit, sit down over here on the floor here by, by my footstool. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with wrong motives. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the presence that is here today. We thank you, God, that you desire the best for us. You desire good things for us, Lord. And as we open your word and we study your scripture, God, let it not be something that simply falls on our minds for us to think about, but let it penetrate our hearts that we would be changed and we can live this out if you agree with that say amen all right well you know <laughs> there's almost not much to explain about this this passage of scripture like favoritism hey don't show favoritism just don't do it right 
that, that would just really just be looking at the surface because I think if we scratch a little bit down, if we, if we kind of get into Scripture, we can discover more in the context and the culture that James was speaking into. And what we discover in this portion of Scripture that he, he's really dealing with uh, a generosity of behavior. And James is saying that by showing partiality, that we are living more like the persecutors of the church than like Jesus. Look, look at this. And right, so, so if, if we're tracking through James as, as we have been, uh, James, in, in the previous verses, he actually made generosity the issue. If we just kind of back up a little bit into and, and dip into James 1, 26 and 27, we, this is what it says. If you claim to be religious, and I think, I think we all claim that. We're here this morning because we love Jesus and we want to learn about him and we like the people that we're sitting next to, I hope. Um, if you claim to be religious... But don't control your tongue. You are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. I pause for effect. I pause to let that resonate just a little bit. We're going to come back to that. But what I want you to hear is pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means, this is what it means. You ever asked a question like, what, what, is, what does God want me to do? What is he calling me to? What is he calling me for? What is, what is, what is I mean, I'm just kind of, I just don't know what's happening. Okay, here it is. Scripture says, the pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Listen, the stinginess and self-preservation of our culture can quickly cause you to shrink back from your Christian duties of caring for the widows, of caring for the orphans, of looking out for the poor, of supplying their needs, right? And, and it, it can force you into comments like, well, you know, that's great that, you, that the church is doing that, you know, but that, you know, I, I, you know, I feel like that, that's kind of the missions thing. It's Pastor Lori's thing. Pastor Lori, she does a great job with that. And man, she has a group of people that are doing that. You, you be, we can begin to exclude ourselves from the calling that God has placed on each and every one of our lives. What he's calling us to. And this, these, these references here, and, and as, you, as you read down into, into the scripture, he brings a court scene. He's, he's, he's establishing this court scene. He speaks more about that later on. And these references to the courts and to judges in, in these verses, it's interesting as well. And it also points to kind of something that he's talking about, something that he's referencing. And if we dig down a bit into the scripture, we see that this, this word, the word meeting place, so your, your Bible may say synagogue, may say gathering, it may say congregation, can have a, a bit of a different kind connotation in that culture in it in what in who he was telling it saying it to they would understand right we find that this word as we expose it we do a little expository here which is we see that the word means is is sunah ogay sunah ogay which is it's, it means an assembly of person specifically a jewish synagogue the meeting or the place, which it's a place where they would gather to, to do, to handle all kinds of things, not just religiously, not just services, not just intentional reading of scripture and, and praying and, and doing all these things. But there was also the, a caveat of that place was used for trials or inflicting punishment. There was also that going on in that area. So those reading this would have understood this reference. 
Because Jewish law in that time, it demanded that both parties in, the, in a courtroom setting, if that was what was presiding in that area, they either had to sit at the same level or they both had to stand. And it, and it also, in Jewish law, it said that the, the richer of the two whichever party was, whether it was defended or the plaintiff or whatever was going on, that the, the, the more wealthy, the richer of the two had a choice. He had to do one of two things. He either had to dress the other in the, with the same clothing and style that he was wearing. He had to elevate him so that they both looked the same in court. Or he himself had to dress down to the level that the other person was so that there was no distinction in that fashion or form. Right? And so James is drawing this line in the sand for the believers. He's speaking to the church. And he's saying, listen, if you claim to be a believer in what he said at the beginning, our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ, whose very nature is generosity and impartiality, who came to elevate the poor, right? Jesus came for the marginalized. He is the one who says that the lowly are favored and the poor, they're actually rich because of their faith, right? He flipped these customs. We read throughout scripture that that's what he was doing. He flipped them upside down. He was talking about an upside down kingdom. That if he, he was saying things like, if you break one command, you've broken them all. That, that you, you should love your enemies. You should pray for those who persecute you. He elevated and refined love your neighbor as yourself this guy, if you claim to be a christ follower of, of this man and, and yet you're treating people in the church this way well, then how can you claim to know christ james says you're, you're no better than the people who persecute the church because in culture maybe they, people didn't like the church and the wealthy of the culture, the wealthy of the time, were taking people to people from the church that had that were wealthy. They were taking them to court, and and the court was skewed. They, they didn't like Christians, so they would just they would just go in favor of the of the person whoever wasn't the Christian to, to punish to further persecute the church. And James is saying, "Man, you're acting just like them. You're, you're doing the same thing. You're no better." You know, better than those who persecute the believers. We, step, we stepped back into James a little while ago to revisit one, to revisit the, the end of, of chapter one. The Bible says there again, if you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. I want to read to you a bit of an excerpt from, from the New Bible Commentary. It says this, this means that one can truly, one can tell truly godly people by their lifestyles. If people have uncontrolled tongues and so are often exploding in anger or quarreling, all of their religious practices are worthless as scripture. They really do not love God in their hearts. This type of piety which God looks for, the, the type of piety that God looks for has two characteristics, which are two sides of the same coin. First, it cares for the poor. The orphans and the widows are two of the four major categories of the poor in the Old Testament. 
Isaiah 17 says, quick footnote, Isaiah 17 says, learn to, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphans, plead for the widows. Let's keep going. Secondly, it is not polluted by the world, which means that it, it is not seeking security or advancement in terms of what is valued by people in the world because it does not love the world. There is no need to hold on to money. There is no need to, to hold on so tightly to our finances. Therefore, such people can be generous and giving, of giving freely. And, I, and I, think, I think we shouldn't just discriminate and hold this down and, and silo this to our findings. I think we should put this to our time as well. I think we should put this into every aspect. I think, I think we lose something when we, 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 we silo, we compartmentalize this. I think I, I, you've heard me say it before. If God, God doesn't want just one part of you. He wants all of you. He wants to use all of you. And we all have a calling over our lives. We all have purpose. We all have plan. We're, we're, not, just, we're not just here just to, to listen to the word. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be here just to listen to what, what I have to say. We should delve into scripture and say, okay, God, what are you saying? What do you want me to do? And then begin to implement those things in our lives today. I have to wait till Monday. We can start doing this today. When we say Christ leads my life, that I'm, I'm a Christian, how do you define that? Because if your definition of Christian, a Christianity or, or a Christ follower doesn't align with Scripture, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. We, we yield to what Scripture says. And this is, this is, one, of those, this is one of those times where <laughs> it sounds like you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> Listen, I told you James was coming right at you. <laughs> and to be honest, I like it. I love it. I love the, direct, the directness of it. Now, Christina will tell you that I kind of talk in circles most of the time. <laughs> but I love, I love James' directness. I love that he's not beating around the bush. I love that he's coming right at He's telling us, hey, this is what you got to do. This is what it is. The book of James, it challenges us in this way. Tim Mackey puts it this way. He said, he wants to get in your business and challenge how you live. Somebody say amen to that. It's quiet in the church house. I, I, hey, hey, I know when the Holy Spirit's working, it's all right. I'm just, it's, it's not me, it's him. Bless the Lord. It's exactly the charge of the gospel. Right? This is the, mo the moment you surrender to the work of the cross of Calvary, which is our daily practice, amen? Then you claim, when, when we claim Jesus is Lord of my life, from that moment, you should continually be changing into a reflection that more and more resembles Jesus. That means we don't live life the same way we used to. We must experience change. And listen, and there is grace for you. There is mercy to be had and to be received. It's new every morning. That's what Lamentations tell us. But you cannot be the same person. You can't be the same person as when you first came to Christ. That's what James is saying. Stop acting like the world. Does your life reflect a life Jesus would live? Plain and simple. Do the decisions you make align with the decisions that Jesus would make? If they do, hey man, keep on going, great. If they don't, man, surrender to the scripture this morning. Surrender to him. Surrender to his call. 
Let God's word continue. Let God's words change you this morning, wherever you are, whether you're here, whether you're watching, let God's word begin to infiltrate your heart, soften it, penetrate it, heal, and, and begin to walk forward out of some things that you're living in. James wants us to truly be wise and live a life that fully embodies the lifestyle of Jesus. We can do that even in this culture, even in our day to day. So as we continue, I pray that you would do so. As we continue through James, as you would do so with an open heart. As you continue to come to church, you would open your heart. You would let God do what he wants to do in you. If the Holy Spirit points something out in your heart and in your life, that you would, you would let him. If he, if, he, if he taps on something, if he brings something to mind, which I'm hoping he's doing even now, he's stirring something in your heart. He's uncovering this, the hidden or the forgotten moments that, that you may have just laid, them, laid life over it. Or maybe the enemy is trying to hide something in your life. I say this often. I got it from somebody. I can't tell you who it was. But the devil, all he wants to do is put some shame over the pain of your life to keep you held there. Rip that off, man. Say, God, no more. There's, no, there's no need for me to be shameful. You're a redeeming God. You're a loving God. You're a faithful God. You're a God who can change me and heal me. You're a God who gives me hope. You're a God who is for me, not against me. That's the God who we believe in. But church, listen, it's time for us to stop just saying it, but it's time to start living it. Amen? Come on, church. The Holy Spirit, he begins to move in our hearts. He begins to uncover things that still need to be healed. Or maybe there needs to be a little bit of replacement surgery, which he is the best surgeon there is. He needs to take something from you and give you hope. Give, let forgiveness come and melt the hardness. Let forgiveness come and soften the calluses of your heart and your life. Don't resist. Choose obedience. Say yes. Keep going. James concludes this portion of scripture, this passage here. And quite honestly, the James chapters are kind of little mini sermons in and of themselves. And so he concludes this by saying there's a choice. We're talking about choices of, of blessing or of cursing for the readers that is before us this morning. James 12, 2, 12 says, so what, whether, whatever you say with me, whatever you or whatever you Remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Speaking and acting. So whatever you say and whatever you do that covers all of our behaviors. Nothing we do will be exempt from the judgment so let's surrender. Let's, if, there, if, there, if there's ever any motivation to surrender to the work of the cross, God, I don't want you to judge me like I've judged some people. I'm standing here with you. I, I've, I've shared my story how God worked some judgmentalism out of my heart. Listen, I'm, God is working on me just like he's working on you. Romans 3.23 says, for we all fall short of the glory of God. So God, God wants to work. God wants to do something in our hearts, in our lives. 
speaking and acting. It covers everything, it covers all of our behavior. Nothing that we do will be exempt from judgment. So let's surrender to the work of the cross and choose to pick up mercy, the mercy that is available to us each and every morning. I said it's new. Lamentations tells us it's new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Like it reminds me of this. It reminds me of Israel picking up the manna every morning, picking it up and saying, Lord, great is your faithfulness. Great is your goodness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for providing for me again today. That's our opportunity. Every morning when we wake up, I, be, I feel like the Lord places before us a table of mercy and of grace and of goodness and of provision. And sometimes we walk right by the table because we got a lot of things we got going on. But the Lord is saying, man, if you would just stop and sit at the table for a little bit, I got everything that you need. If you would just look to me, if you would just give me a moment. Give me a moment. If he's the source of our lives, if we believe that he is the ultimate provider of everything we are, we declare him king and Lord of our lives, how can we not, church? We're walking around redeemed and restored with all that opportunity there, and we're walking around with an orphan mentality still. Disconnected. Disconnected from the Father, disconnected from the Son, disconnected from the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit that wants to work in our hearts and our lives because we begin to get so consumed of all the things that are happening around us and you can easily be consumed and distracted by all the things that are happening around us. You don't think that's a deploy of the enemy? The devil wants you to be distracted, right? I think, I think it was... It was Tim Keller that said, you know, if the devil can't get you to sin, he'll get you busy. We have to, we have to, we have to choose to start right. And I praise God that we have that opportunity here this morning. I thank God that we do. Like Israel picked up manna every morning. God has, God has your your provision prepared for you every morning, every morning. But you know, just like manna, it won't last but that day. You pick up too much, it'll spoil. It goes rotten. God wants, God wants you to pick up the newness that he has for you every morning. Church, let's choose as, a peop, as the people of an all-providing God to be generous in our behavior. God has more. God has more. Again, we find this, this thought, this, this connection uh, flowing into the next passage of Scripture, James 2, 14 through 17. It says this, what is it benefit, my fellow believers? What is the benefit, my fellow believers, if someone claims to have faith but has no good works as evidence? Can that kind of faith save him? No. A mere claim of faith is not sufficient. Genuine faith produces good works. If a brother or sister is without adequate clothing and lacks enough food for each day, and one of you says to them, hey man, go in peace with my blessing, keep warm, God bless you, I hope he provides for you and feeds and feed yourself. But he does not give them the, ne the, necess the necessities for the body. What good, what good does that do? So to faith, if it does not have works to back it up, is by itself dead. It's inoperative. It's ineffective. It's ineffective. In the message version, it says this in 2.14. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? 
Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? There is a faith that you and I can possess as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, that is useless. I've heard it said this way, brother so heavenly minded, he ain't no earthly good. <laughs> you got so much knowledge of scripture, you got so much wisdom, you got so much of it memorized, but none of it plays out in your life. That kind of faith is worthless. That's tough. But I've, I've, always been the kind, I've, I've always chosen to be the kind of pastor that's going to tell you what I need to tell you because I would much rather you hear from me than hear from the King of Kings when you stand before him on that day. If, if, your, if your faith has no action, Scripture says it's worthless. It's, it's ineffective. And this is a true position because I used to be this. How many of y'all remember TBN? I used to be a TBN Christian. Woo, man, I couldn't get enough of it. Bless God, I would sit there, didn't have no job, but I would sit there and just be like, God, you're my provider. I tell you about show. Boy, I'll be dancing in front of my TV. Woo, bless the Lord. God was like, son. Ooh, I love you, son, but good old Lord, God, you lazy. You ain't doing nothing. I appreciate it. Hey, I, I take it. I take the love. I take your, your adoration. I take your worship. But son, I got something for you to do. Son, I want you to be involved in the world. Son, you got to get out of your house. I got blessings for you, but they out there. You got to go get them. You got to walk in, in my favor. You got to walk out there. I, I, I thought the Lord was going to send somebody knock on my door and be like, hey, man, I got a job for you, brother. Come on, man. TBN Christian. Thank the Lord for forgiveness and mercy and grace. Amen. Come on. Now. Listen, listen, I, 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 I do the table like this every morning. I just do it like this. I just take it all. Everything that God has for me, I do just like this every morning. I say, Lord, I'll take it all. You ain't got nothing left. You got no seconds? <laughs> Bless God. This idea of choosing mercy, it carries over. It's carrying over this idea, and it's tied into responding with action, responding to the needs that are right around you, church. You ain't got to look far. With this, this means, you, with the means that you already have. How oh, will Lord, Lord, you know what? If, if, you, if you just bless me with a little bit more, who, Lord? you bless me a little bit more, God, I, I will sow into the kingdom. <laughs> God, if you would just give, Lord, if you just, if you just help me with this, Lord, then I'll, I'll sow into the kingdom. God says, man, if you can't be faithful right now, then how you, how I expect you to give you more and you'll be faithful then. <laughs> God, God ain't asking you for more than what you have. God, God gives us the opportunity, but he's a good God because he keeps on giving. He keeps on giving. As the good father that he is, he keeps on giving to us, waiting for the opportunity, waiting for the moment that, that we align ourselves with his plan and his purpose and that we begin to bless the Lord with what we have. I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying there's, there's nothing wrong with having finances and having an abundance of them man god bless you 
I'm grateful that God has blessed you with that. That's a blessing. That's an honor. That's an honor that God, God, would, God would trust you with that thing. I was reading out of, out of uh, Corinthians. And, and he, he was talking about David preparing, the, he's starting to gather supplies for his son Solomon to build. Chronicles, excuse me, not Corinthians, Chronicles. And he was gathering supplies. And, and the Bible says that he gathered something like, like just, just a bit under 4,000 tons of gold. 4,000 tons of gold. God trusted David's heart. He trusted his heart. He trusted him with that. And God has trusted you with a measure. And if that, that measure is different level. That measure has different levels. God has trusted us with different levels. God has blessed us at different levels with not just finances, but with time, with talent. And God is calling us to use at, use at whatever level that he has blessed us with, God is calling us to use that. To do something with that for the kingdom of God. Don't sit back on your laurels and say, oh God, when you bless me with this and when you bless me with that, that's when I start to move in the kingdom of God. That's when I, I, can, Lord, I can afford to give somebody else. God says, man, you better check what you're spending your money on and what you're spending your time on and what you're doing with the things that I've given you before you want a bunch more. God blesses you with what you have. You can be an influence and you can be effective in the kingdom of God with where you are in your life right now. Each one of us, each one of us has a calling and a purpose. Each one of us has a ministry. Each one of us has an anointing. Each one of us, as we surrender to the, if you call yourself a Christian and you've given your life to the cross and you say that he is your king and your Lord, he has deposited the power of the Holy Spirit in you and you have an opportunity to do something for the kingdom of God with what you have right now. If you believe that, you can begin to start to lift your eyes, look beyond maybe the, the, the lowly things that you've been focusing on and look at what God is calling you and how he's calling you to live your life. Let's be clear as we start talking about action because, this is th because what the scripture is talking about is the issue of faith not put into action, not faith that is produced from action. James 1.21, he says this, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word, the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just to God's word, you must what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. A Christ follow, as Christ followers, our action is from faith, not for faith. It is from faith. We have a duty to fulfill in the kingdom of God. And that duty is to sit, not, is not to sit on your John Brown hind parts, as Coach Boone would say. <laughs> Listen, I know all about it. I, I know about God challenging you. I know about God calling you. I quit my job in the secular world to come and do this. I know, I know what it is to, for God to ask you for something. And he's asked me for things before that I failed to do. I'll admit that. But because I can admit that, I'm telling you, church, you're missing out. On the greatness and the grandeur of God. Man, that should excite you. That you have an opportunity to partner with the God of the universe. Taylor, you guys come up here. Let's finish this thing out. Let's worship. Let's respond to what God is doing in our hearts this morning. James 2, 19 and it says this. You say you have faith. For you believe that there is one God. Hey, good. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. 
There is a reverence to their belief. How foolish. Can you see that faith without good deeds is useless? James is clear. Faith by itself is not enough. There's no mincing words right down the middle. Reminds me of of Nolan Ryan pitching it right down the middle. Coming at you. There's no beating around the bush with James. He says it like it is. Surrender cultivates a genuine faith. And genuine faith always results in obedience to Jesus' teachings. Could it be that James is so blunt because this really matters? Could it be that James is so forthright because it really matters? Because it's important. Because it's blessing and cursing. It's life and death. It's being a Christian who is active and working for the kingdom of God. And being someone who believes that they're a Christian, but not really doing anything. Working, doing stuff, but not really affecting the kingdom of God. You ever heard the phrase, adventure awaits? It's used often to give a preface of what is to come or what could be had or what is, what's, what's right before us. The fun, excitement, joy, beauty, doing more than you thought you could. There is an adventure. There is an adventure available to each one of us that, ap- that absolutely nothing in this world can match. And it only comes through the continued surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm so grateful you're here today. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you've tuned in from wherever you're tuning in from. And I hope that this today, as you allow the Holy Spirit to work and move, you have this conversation with him in your heart and your mind and your soul, that you begin to say yes to what he's calling you to. No matter where you are in your walk with Christ, whether it exists or it's non-existent, whether it used to exist and now it's faded into nothing, there is an opportunity for each and every one of us to take another step, to grow, to draw closer to Him. The Bible says, "As we draw closer to Him, He draws. He draws because He runs to us." Prayer team, would you come up here and help us as we prepare to worship the Lord and respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in the room? If you're here this morning and you, you have, you're carrying something and you, you need some help with it, you don't know what to do with it, man, there's people up here that will pray with you and believe with you that God would move in a mighty way and God will respond to your need. Maybe you're, you need to rededicate your heart to God, to God this morning. You want to get back on the right track, man. Come on. Come on. Don't wait. Come on. These people will, will pray with you. Maybe you don't, you've never made that prayer. You've never made that decision to run to the cross and receive the free gift of God, His mercy and His goodness. I'm not promising you that life will be easier because of it. But I will promise you that He will walk beside you and He will shelter you and watch over you as you, pour, as you lean into Him. He will surround you. He will, he will embrace you. Scripture says that he looked over, he came over the hill and he looked over Jerusalem and he wept. He said, how I long to gather you as a hen gathers its chicks. 
God is here this morning. He wants to work in your heart and your life. Father, we love you. We adore you. We praise you. We just call your will to be done. We say, have your way this morning. In the name of Jesus, would you stand as we worship the Lord?